Once upon a time, there was a Pharisee who lived by the book and played by the rules and had everybody fooled. But he was curious, this upstanding pillar in the community, curious about that vagabond teacher-preacher from up in the lake region. And so he decided he'd take a risk. He would invite him home for dinner. Nothing fancy, you understand. No flowery, showy demonstration of approval or acceptance. Just a cool, reserved, come on over for dinner, check him out kind of a thing, you know. And so the young preacher came for dinner, proving true that not only did he party with tax collectors and sinners as the local gossips hissed, but he also feasted with Pharisees and other such sinners as they, if they wanted him, of course. And Simon, the noncommittal Pharisee, wanted him, and so Jesus came. And while they were dining around a lush table, someone else joined the banquet. You see, it was customary for Simon and his wealthy neighbors to leave the doors open during a feast so that those who might wish to be spectators could line the walls of the feast room and Occasionally interject comments from the peanut gallery, as it were. And so she slipped into the Pharisee's open house, and before anyone knew it, she was sobbing over the feet of the guest of honor that day, the young teacher from up north, letting down the tresses of her locks and secretly, not for very long, snapping the long, thin neck of the white, fine-grained gypsum vase filled with preciously aromatic nard. In short, making a very hysterical and embarrassing scene. And when Simon the Pharisee host discerned the commotion arising from somewhere near the feet of his guest of honor. And when craning his neck, he realized that it's the village wench who has crashed his party. He clears his throat with sanctimonious vigor. For any notion of this young preacher being a prophet has just evaporated into the now heavily perfumed and silent air. Why, if this, this man were a prophet, he would know, Simon thought to himself, he would know who this woman is, that she is a sinner. And it was at that split moment that Jesus turned to his host and proved to Simon that he was the very prophet Simon had been hoping for. He proved it by reading Simon's unsanctimonious mind and by knowing the woman's unsanctimonious past. Proved it. You pick the story up with me, please, in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 7. Finish it here in the Gospel of Luke, 
I'll be reading in the New International Version, Luke chapter 7. We pick it up, this story in verse 40. And Jesus answered him. Wait a minute, Simon hasn't even said a word. But he's read every thought and Jesus answered him. Simon, <laughs> I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Jesus goes on, verse 41. Well, verse 41. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, one, denari, one denarius, the wages of a common labor for one day. 500 days of back wages owed. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both. Now, Simon, which of them will love him more? Verse 43, And Simon replied with as much feigned indifference as he can muster, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly. Jesus replied. And then verse 44, get this. He turns to the woman. Keeping his eyes on Simon, he turns to the woman and he says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and by the way, it was at your invitation. I did not invite myself here. You invited me. I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and kisses. Simon, in his cool reserve, has denied his young host, intentionally denied him the common courtesies of Middle Eastern hospitality. I, I don't want to commit myself. You gave me no water for my feet. Verse 45, you did not give me a kiss, the Middle Eastern in Brussels. You didn't even give me one cheek of a kiss. But this woman has not stopped from the time I entered kissing my feet. Verse 46, You did not put oil on my head. Not even a drop of cheap olive oil to just say, Welcome, nothing from you but this woman has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little Loves little. Eugene Peterson in the message translation renders that last line of Jesus this way. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Did you catch that? That's pretty heavy stuff. Jesus is speaking. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. So here's the question. How much gratitude have you brought today to this banqueting table? Huh? How much gratitude have you brought? Well, you say, well, the usual. What do you mean? You're talking about the usual gratitude? Yeah, the usual gratitude. You know, well, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. What more do you want? You know, maybe that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe that for us, the usual is, in fact, 
the minimal. The minimal gratitude, just like Simon. But do you know why a person... Come on, think through this logically now. Do you know why a person has minimal gratitude? What did Jesus just say? If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. So could it be that my gratitude today is minimal because my forgiveness, the forgiveness that I receive is minimal. And why is the forgiveness that I receive minimal? Because the sins that I confess are minimal. And why are the sins that I confess are, why are they minimal? Because my sense of sin is minimal. Oh, I don't have any problem with my sense of sin in your life. It's very clear to me. But my sense of sin in my life. Could it be that our confessions of sin are minimal because our sense of sin is minimal too? I mean, what would happen? If you and I confessed, made the very same confession of another Pharisee saved by this very same Jesus, another Pharisee put his name to it, wrote it up, 1 Timothy 1.15. What if we today confess the same? Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You say, oh, come on, Dwight. That's, that, that's just a little bit of homiletical hyperbole. It is not. Not on your life. The 19th century bishop, Handley Moole, English bishop, Put it this way. I'll put the words on the screen. Read them. The harlot, the liar, the murderer are short of it. Short of what? Short of God's glory. But so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine, a deep, 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 deep mine, and they're way down there, and you on the crest of an alp, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they. Prostitute and apostle alike exclaim, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Homiletical hyperbole, rubbish. And get this, folks, apparently, apparently the longer you live, the worse, the worst becomes. How do I know? From a classic called Steps to Christ. Read these words as well. The closer you come to Jesus, like Paul, the closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes, for your vision will be clearer and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. No deep-seated love for Jesus. That was what was in the heart of that, that prostitute. No deep-seated love for Jesus can dwell in the heart that does not realize its own sinfulness. But in view of our sinfulness, a view of our sinfulness drives us to Him who can pardon. And the more our sense of need drives us to Jesus and to the Word of God, the more exalted views we shall have of His character and the more fully we shall reflect His image. Isn't that something? Did you get that? The closer, the nearer we draw to Jesus, the more sinful, the worse we appear in our own eyes. Some of us have majored in finding the faults of others. But the closer you come to Jesus, the less you will think of others' faults and failures, and the more you will see your own. Which is why I suppose 
if I'm not drawing nearer and closer to Jesus, you know why? If I'm not drawing nearer and closer to Jesus, it's because I don't confess much. And you know what? Come on, it, it just follows. If I don't confess much, I'm not forgiven much. And if I'm not forgiven much, I'm not saved much. And if I'm not saved much, I'm lost. Just like Simon, the church-going Pharisee, I'm lost. Which is all the more reason, I suppose, why you and I need to come to the cross today and today and today until Jesus comes. I've got to keep going back. Because apparently... You know, I've just been meditating on this all this week. Apparently, tell me if this is true. Apparently, there never comes a time in this life when we are any better than the worst of sinners. We're never any better than the worst. Never a day. Apparently never an hour. Apparently never a minute. Apparently there is never a moment when we are not in continual need of the Savior's cleansing pardon at the foot of the cross where a forgiven heart pours forth its grateful love. I want to end with these words of Francis Ridley Havergal. How did she put it? Put, take a look at these words. Beautiful. Beautiful. Nothing to pay Yes, nothing to pay. Jesus has cleared all the debt away. It's just going to happen today, right now. It's going to happen for you. Blotted it out with His bleeding hand, free and forgiven and loved. You stand here, the voice of Jesus say, Verily, thou hast nothing to pay. Paid is the debt, and the debtor free. Now I ask thee, lovest thou me? All of it at the foot of the cross. At the foot of this cross. At the foot of this cross right here. Wherewith Paul and the prostitute, we can together exclaim, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, the worst. Because if we aren't any better than the worst, then oh, how we need the best friend, a prostitute, and sinner ever had. Let us pray. Oh God, we prayed it at the beginning and we have to pray it again. Those of us who came with no sin today have at least the sin of ingratitude. We didn't know it. Thought we had it all together. It could spend our energies on our neighbors. But it's us. It is we, O oh God. Please, I pray, for the fleeting moments that are left, would You do this, dear God? Would You take the towel and the bread and the cup and would You give us a vision such as we have never seen before? Would You, would you lift the veil at Calvary? May we see how deep and tragic our sin. May we hear, know, how profound and costly your pardon 
And may we go forth forgiven and free. Nothing to pay. Nothing to pay. Oh God. Then, then we'll have gratitude that will flow from us night and day. And the closer we come to Jesus, the more we shall praise His name and Your throne. In His name we worship You. Amen.